welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. The name David McDonald is synonymous with baseball in the state of Georgia. His career in Georgia started at Wheeler High School in 1979. He ended his run as head coach in 2010. In that time, he led Wheeler to almost 500 wins and seven playoff appearances. After his time at Wheeler, Coach McDonald's been an assistant at Mount Perrin and the Lovett School. Outside of coaching, he's made a larger impact on the game with his time with the Georgia Dugout Club. He's also a charter member of the National High School Baseball Coaches Association, as in this year's ABCA Hall of Fame class. In this episode, we cover his work with the Georgia Dugout Club, what the military did for his coaching career, handling head and assistant coaching duties, fundraising, and his experience with ABCA. Let's welcome David McDonald to the podcast. Here with David McDonald, Executive Director of the Georgia Dugout Club, also ABCA Lifetime member, and now ABCA Hall of Famer, and a ton of other Hall of Fames. So David, congratulations, and thanks for coming on with me. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. No question. What does it mean to you? I mean, to, to get inducted into the ABCA Hall of Fame. I know you're inducted into a ton of other ones, but what does this actually mean to you? Well, obviously, this is the pinnacle because uh, when I first joined ABCA, the thought of being in the Hall of Fame was just beyond belief. Because I used to go to the, the Hall of Fame dinners, and I would look at those gentlemen on that stage, and just I was amazed at their careers and everything they've accomplished and the, the people they've helped along the way also. So it's, it's a very humbling to be, be included. What has the state of Georgia meant to you? Everything. I came over here after graduate school at Mississippi State. And very fortunately, I was able to contact, coach against some great gentlemen here in Georgia. Harvey Cochran, who is our long time uh, Georgia Dugout Club executive director, who unfortunately died last year. Great mentor to so many coaches. Coach Donnie English here in uh, Marietta and Cobb County. We had a tremendous bunch of coaches who, who worked together, encouraged each other, 
provided professional leadership for others. And uh, it got me started on the right path. Really did. What What brought you from Georgia over from Mississippi? I, I was in the military. I was in Vietnam quite a while. And when I came back to Vietnam, I was in uh, the hospital in Colorado, then Fort Carson in Colorado. I went back to graduate school. And at that time, of course, the pay in the state of Mississippi wasn't very good. So I started interviewing around. And actually, I accepted a job in Richardson, Texas. And the job came open here, and I just kind of flipped a nickel and wound up in Atlanta and been here ever since. I read on your resume, University of South Vietnam School of Warfare. Can you talk, I mean, again, my dad was in the Marines during that time, so can you talk about that a little bit? My time with the 101st Airborne still dictates my life today. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't many years, but uh, it gave me a sense of direction, how to work with people, to get a job done, and... Uh, you know, lead. And I've always, always followed back on my military background. Of course, my, my dad was a army air corps in World War II. We had a lot of my family members who were ex-military and served, but uh, it's always been a way of life with me. How'd you transition that into the, then coaching with the teams that you had? Well, a couple experiences, uh, when I first started, I kind of ran my practices like the military. <laughs> and uh, my very first year, I started off 12 and 0. I thought, well, I've got this, you know. And uh, I think we, we may have won four or five more games. My team was worn out. <laughs> and I used to tell my players, we'll stay out here until I get tired. Now, it didn't take me long to figure out that doesn't work. So I, I, I was smart enough, and I said, well, I've got, I've got to make a change, not the players. So I started adjusting the way I treated players, scheduled practices, uh, encouraged players. So it, 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 I had to learn that that's not always the way, but uh, I still to today, very, all my practices are very detailed, very oriented to what I want to accomplish that day. And, uh, make sure we get it done. When did you make that switch? You know, when did you figure out, oh, hey, practices are too long, we're dog tired. Did you make that switch that season or did you wait till the following year to make that uh, switch? I, after my first season, I went back and kind of evaluated. I looked at games, I looked at players, how I approached the game that day, and I had to learn. I think as a head coach, everybody learns along the way. And that, that's why I've been, I was so fortunate. I had coaches here I could look at. I could question about how they handled things, and I learned from that. I was never, I never uh, put my ego out front. I, I kept that behind me, and I wasn't too proud to to learn from others. Who were you leaning on back then? Like, which coaches were you reaching out to back then? Well, I, I was a big Ron Pope fan, obviously being a Mississippi State guy. Uh, Coach Harvey Cochran and Jim Morris, who was at Georgia Tech at the time, used to work his camps. Steve Weber, who was the head coach at Georgia at the time, I, I learned from those guys. Julian Mock, an old Cincinnati Red Scout, who I, I, I value very much. Uh, he used to tell me, he said, look in a player's eyes. You can tell if you're getting to him or not. 
But I, I learned from a lot of different people, and especially through the ABCA. I, I, so many great friends and coaches. I remember the first ABCA clinic I went to, two o'clock in the morning, I hear a noise in the hall. And there's guys out there working on first base leads and pop-up slides. I thought, well, I'm in the right place, you know. But uh, I, I learned from everyone. Uh, Bill Olson, Hall of Famer out of Omaha, pitching. Of course, his son, very successful. Rich Hoffman from Miami, Westminster. And Ron Devaney from Arizona about catching. I, I asked and I learned. I, I made sure I got to the right people. Somebody said this the other day, it's like six degrees of separation, but I think in the baseball world, it's like three degrees of separation. Oh, I think you're like exactly. three people away from knowing everyone in baseball because my old boss at JMU worked for Jim Moore, Spanky McFarland at Georgia Tech, yeah, and then Spanky, yeah. my boss at, at Iowa, Bill Olson, was his pitching coach at Creighton, Coach Dom. So like it, it really not that far off from everybody in the baseball world, which is so unique for us. And it's not always very technical. Bill Olson always told, you want to teach a change-up, have your pitcher curl his toes on the rubber, you know. <laughs> I thought, that that don't sound right, but it worked. <laughs> yeah. so, just little things, you know. How excited were you for Mississippi State to win their first national championship this year? Oh, just tickled to death, just, just worn out. Once they got to the finals, my phone started ringing. and said, you need to get to Omaha. But the school I was at at the time, love it. We had our end of the year get together. I called Delta, and I couldn't afford Delta <laughs> on a, you know, six uh, just overnight reservation. That was expensive. Did but, you think uh, about doing college coaching at all, or was high school always the plan for you? I had a couple opportunities way back uh, to get in college, but in Georgia, once you got in the school system, the teacher retirement system was laid out in front of you. And way back in mid eighties or late eighties, college coaches weren't getting paid that much. And I already had 10, 12 years in. So, you know, the, I would have loved to have that opportunity. I think I, I could have done it a, a real good job at it, but uh, I felt very loyal to the school I was at at the time and uh, felt like that's where I needed to be. I do want to circle back. So that second year, when you when you limited the practice times, then did you finish stronger that year after you? We did. We did. did. Yep. In so fact, there's some validation with that then. Yeah, we made we made playoffs that second year and uh, made a little run at it. But uh, fortunately, I had good players overcame coaches sometimes. What do you feel like the key was to sustaining success year in and year out? Well, you hear the word culture used so much, but. Uh, I established a, a plan. I wanted uh, an off-season plan. A, uh, I was coaching football, too. And I like that two- and three-sport athlete because when they come to the baseball field, I want them excited to be there. So I, I encourage kids to play other sports, get away from it a little bit. But uh, they knew once we got baseball season rolled around in January, we are ready to go. At that time, the school was there. I'd have 150 kids try out. You know, for, we only had a varsity and a JV, so I had players coming out, and I was excited about that, and uh, they wanted to be there. So that was, that was always very special. What were you pulling from the football side with coaching football? What were you taking to the baseball side from football? 
Well, once again, uh, a little bit of discipline, uh, organization, a mindset that we can be a little bit aggressive in baseball. We don't have to sit back and uh, be passive about the way we play the game. We can be a hit-and-run team. We can we can steal bases. We can buck the man over. We can be aggressive and being aggressive on the pitching mound also. Let's let's go after the guy. We only got so many pitches. Let's let's go after him. What do you feel like are the biggest differences with the kids now, or if there are any? You've been in high school for a long time, head coach, assistant coach. Do you feel like there's any differences now than when you first started? I don't really believe there is. Uh, I think all the kids want to be coached. They want to be successful. They And I've always felt like as soon as I open my mouth in front of a kid, he knows whether I mean business or not. And I can tell if they want to be successful. And I think day and time now, things have changed with showcases, with this, with everything's going on. It's a, it's a different baseball world because a kid can play year-round every day right now. But the success is there. Parents want them to be successful. Uh, I try to set goals for each individual player. I, I, I set goals myself each year. And I, I tried to encourage kids, let's be successful. You're not all going to play college baseball, but we can learn from this. We learn to be good teammates, learn to be good leaders, be, be gentlemen of character. What are your individual goals? When, you, when you're laying out your own goals, what are your individual goals that you're laying out? I just, I get up every day and I try to think about what can I do today to make the Georgia Dugout Club better? What can I do today to... Uh, uh, encourage another coach to be successful. What can I do today to provide professional leadership and with with ethics in the background? Let's do it the right way. What year is this for the Georgia Dugout Club? I think the Georgia Dugout Club was formed in 1965, and it was started out as the Atlanta Dugout Club. A gentleman, Julian Mock, old Cincinnati guy, Red Witsett, the Kansas City Royal guy, Harry Lloyd, who was a coach at one of the Westminster schools here in Atlanta, they were all, and John Guthrie, who eventually wound up with the SEC, head of officials and all, they started it. Over the years, it became the Metro Atlanta Dugout Club. Then probably about 25, 30 years ago, we became the Georgia Dugout Club. And we have about 490 schools who are members. And we oversee girls softball also which is a fall sport here in Georgia. So it's a, it's a year-round uh, operation. What have been your guys' biggest challenges with everything that's going on? Last year, after planning our clinic and look, really looking forward to it, we had to cancel it just about two weeks before. Like I said, Harvey Cochran, our executive director, had passed away. One of our Hall of Fame members we were inducting, an, an umpire, college umpire, he passed away. And it was a challenge because school systems were telling coaches, if you attend, you have to come back and quarantine. So canceling that was a huge disappointment. I think it was a disappointment for our speakers we'd lined up because we'll have a thousand coaches and uh, kicks off the season. And fortunately we were able to have a very complete and successful high school season last year. And uh, we're looking forward to it this year. 
what are the dates for people that are listening and the Georgia Dugout Club dates so they can? Our clinic will be December 9, 10, and 11 at the Waverly Hotel adjacent to Truist Park, Braves New Stadium. Got a great setup. Like I said, we have softball staffs coming in for our softball coaches. Of course, a lot, a lot of baseball coaches do softball too. So they, they, uh, you know, they'll get to the benefit of both. And I expect right now we will have approximately 900 baseball coaches, 250 to 300 softball coaches. Tremendous. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy for everybody to be able to get back going with their clinics. It's a, it's much needed um, for local communities to be able to right. have the, the local clinics. It's much needed. It's, uh, I think that's why the baseball community is so good from a coaching standpoint because we have – so much continuing education going on all over the country. You're going to have an opportunity. Um, you know, it's not just about the national clinic, but it's about the local clinics too and supporting your, supporting your local community. I think that's why the baseball community is in such great shape. Well, fortunately, the other night, I was on a Zoom call with Barry Dean, Alabama director. Barry had Dan McDonald, Keith Madison on, and I think there were eight or nine other states on. We all discussed clinics, fees, you know, the whole thing. Everybody's just excited about the season coming up and ready to go. What made a great assistant for you when you are head coach? An assistant? Here's a problem I think a lot of high schools are facing now. Teachers. In Georgia, you have to be a certified teacher to be in the classroom, be on the athletic field. I was so fortunate. I had great assistants. Quite a few of them went on to be uh, – uh, head coaches in high school, a couple moved on to college ball. Uh, I, I wanted a guy who's going to be loyal, but you know, willing to question me and what I, I was thinking. I, I wanted him to have new ideas. I wanted him to work clinics, learn from other coaches, and to be a uh, once again a leader for our players. I didn't. I didn't want to have the last word. I wanted my assistants to be able to step up, say what they felt and uh, suggestions as far as practice, situ game situations. So I I'm, I'm so fortunate I had some great, great assistant coaches. But right now, the way things have been, uh, I know in Georgia this year, start of the school year, I think we're 3,900 teachers short in the state, and it's getting more difficult. But we do have a community coach program in the state. If you're a retired teacher, you can, retain, you can remain coaching. Just can't be a head coach. That's the role I played the last eight or nine years. You still have to go through, if you bring a community coach in, they still have to take some classes, do the background checks, and, and fall in line with you. But uh, the, state, the state of baseball in Georgia is fantastic right now. It's really good. I was always impressed with the facilities in the state for the high schools. Oh. When I would go down to... East Cobb and and that oh, yeah. um, was always impressed with the baseball facilities at the high schools in that state. We have made a point of things being right. If I go play a visiting team, I want the visitors' bullpen to be correct. I want everything right. And I always tell young coaches, I can walk up on your field and tell whether you care or not, whether it's edged, whether it's right, whether the mound's right, and. Uh, we, we've made a point of that. Let's have some great facilities. I know it's uh, it's an expensive project for you sometimes, but you can get your parents involved. 
you can get your players involved and having a little pride in the field. And uh, we have some beautiful facilities in Georgia. I don't care if you go from Chattanooga to Vidalia, Georgia. You, you, there's some great facilities. What I'm type? Proud of them. What type of material are you using for your fields? Uh we used a lot of the turfless products and uh, you know the clay and everything else. I've, I've used it all. What's been the best for you? Uh the turfless products. I believe they come to our clinic. <laughs> for sure, they come to ours also. There, there's a lot of really good field materials. It's it's developed. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of good stuff. I worked and on a. Can, yeah, go ahead. You can color your field. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any challenges for you transitioning? You're head coach for 31 years. Uh, any transition issues with going to being an assistant? There was. And uh, fortunately, a couple of coaches I worked for, they were great. And uh, Lance Oves, who was a coach at uh, Lovett, former college player. Lovett had always been a winning school before I got there. So I just kind of fell in line and I would make suggestions and he'd agree or disagree and we'd go over, you know, so it, it was wonderful. And a, as usual, being a head coach, uh, you have to deal with some problems here and there, but as an assistant, go see the head coach, you know, <laughs> I never had any problems at all. And uh, I, I enjoyed it. It gave me time to do uh, more of my position players and things like that. How are you laying things out? Because you're doing the pitching, correct? How are you laying things out with pitching? Well, I did pitching and catching. And, uh, of course, you got some two-way players in high schools, so you had to adjust that. And fortunately, I had some good pitchers. Kid double A with the Braves now. And uh, Aaron Shunk, who's with played at Georgia, was Olerud Player of the Year. And Robbie Baker signed with the Red Sox. And we had uh, had some players. But just monitoring the arms, make sure they got the bullpen works in. Had a goal each day we went to the bullpen. Here's what we're working on today. Kind of limited pitches sometime. But uh, make sure two days prior we had a good bullpen in. I always made my catchers work with every pitcher because I didn't want them going in the game not really uh, spending time with that guy on the mound and uh, understanding how the breaking ball moves and so on. So it, it was a, a two-way deal. I, I, I enjoyed that part of it a whole lot. Quick break for another one of our sponsors, Mark Pro. That is M-A-R-C Pro. Personally, I used it as a coach for my ragged out BP arm and legs after a tough workout. We saw huge benefits with our pitchers and position players in decreased soreness and recovery time. It's an amazing machine that speeds up the recovery process by getting blood flow back to the areas that need it. It's durable and cost-effective. The Mark Pro needs to be a tool in your peak performance toolkit. I can't recommend it enough. Hit me up if you have any questions. Order now on markpro.com and use the promo code ABCA to get 10% off. Now back to the podcast. Is there anything in the game that you haven't done that you wish you would have gotten to do? Not really. I had a chance to do USA Baseball six years, you know, trials coach and Opportunity to go to Taiwan with some great coaches, uh, Phil Clark from Memphis and Larry Watkins from Petal, Mississippi. And of course, always indebted Paul Siler for that, Eric Campbell, Steve Cohen, who's with USA Baseball at that time. Uh, it, it was That was a wonderful experience. And uh, wouldn't trade that for anything. 
got had Joe Maurer on the team and Carlos Quentin. I mean, how can you mess that up? <laughs> we talk about that. You guys won a one gold in two thousand in Taiwan. Yeah. So just yeah. you know, for people that didn't know that, I mean, you're a world champion, gold medalist. So talk about that experience. I tell you what, it was it was a wonderful experience. We went to Tucson for about two weeks prior, high corporate field. This was before they had their carry facility. We brought in quite a few players, around 40, 45 players, and cut it down to 20 or so. And that was a challenge. I mean, you, to get the staff on, let's all agree on this particular player. What can he do for us? And uh, Paul Siler and them treated us like, you know, we're kings. And the senior team was there with Skip Burtman and Paul, uh, Ron Polk at the time. So we had scrimmages against the senior team. Uh, Canadian team came in and worked out. So we had experiences against them. Then going to Taiwan was uh, special. Uh, playing against Cuba and other countries. Brand new, beautiful stadium. It, it was a wonderful experience. And of course, winning was uh, something you won't forget. How how do you whittle that down when you're trying to decide who makes the team? Because you get four baseball guys in a room, they're gonna have four different opinions on who can play. Like that's just that's yeah. how baseball guys work. Ultimately, who then makes that decision? Obviously, Joe Maurer probably is on. Joe Maurer's a guy you're gonna look at and be like, okay, he should be on our team. But you're gonna have some guys that are right next to each other. Ultimately, who makes that decision that that who's gonna go and who's not gonna go? Well, it, it came down to. Uh you know, how many pitchers we need, looking at the schedule, how many games we're going to play, when can we turn that number one, number two guy around. Uh, catching, you had to have one or two. Our catcher, Scott Hurd, wound up being a first-round pick. Pitcher on the mound, Matt Whelan, turned around being a first-round pick. One of my particular players from my school, who wound up playing at Duke, uh, tremendous pitcher. I mean, I was so tickled for him to have that opportunity to go. It worked out. I mean, there were discussions, long, some midnight discussions, but we, we got it done. I need to do and, more in the game because I don't have a field named after me. So, I mean, you've got a field named after you. And, I, you know, you look all over the country, guys that have, have done a lot for their community, seems like they end up getting a field named after them. So talk about that a little bit. The parents I had at Wheeler High School were so supportive, so supportive. If I needed something, if I told my booster club, we, if you raise 30000 this year, I'm probably going to spend forty. But, you know, whatever I needed to be successful, they, they made sure we got it. Not to try to distance yourself, parents, but they, they were willing to work with me. They understood. And over the years, after being successful, seeing players going to college, seeing players go to med school, seeing players being good citizens, they said, we're going to do this. So they went to the board of education and went through the process. And that was something. And I still go by there every once in a while, make sure my name's still on the field. <laughs> Just to make, make sure they hadn't changed their mind. But uh, uh, that, that was something else. Did you start a booster club right away at, at Wheeler when you got there? I did, because I, I always told my principal, I said, if you don't, bugged me about money. They, they gave me a budget, but it was maybe enough to cover my umpire bill. I said, you cover my umpire bill. I'm going to raise enough money, but don't question what I do with it. You know, so uh, 
I was able to build some batting cages and cover them and pitch machines and uh, whatever we needed. And, you know, field repair each year. Uh, we were able to take, go to Florida and several places to play each spring break. And, you know, we covered that. And so it, it was always a challenge, but uh, we sold Christmas trees. We sold, you name it, we sold it. Was that your best one? I mean, what are some some fundraising ideas that you guys did to, to help? Well, I think coaches need help with fundraising. That's I think that's a hard the hardest thing it, it to is, do is the fundraising piece. And it's something they don't tell you about in college either. When you work, <laughs> you learn. But we 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 had golf tournaments. We had uh, like I said, sold Christmas trees. We'd do a pre order. When the trees showed up, we took them to a person's home. So we we charged a little bit more for that. Uh, we did all kind of raffles. We did raffles during the game. Of course, the school system wasn't too big on raffles, you know, <laughs> but we had raffles. But uh, Your booster club around the 50-50? Yeah, very similar. So we, we, did, we did it all. And each year as your parent group turned over, new ideas came around. But uh, And I always hated to get to that point where you had to charge a family X amount of dollars to play because I didn't want to know. And I always told my booster club presidents, I don't want to know who raised money. I don't want to know who didn't pay dues. I don't want that to anybody ever say, well, my son's not playing because we didn't raise enough money. I said, you keep that to yourself. Uh, that was something I was very, very concerned about. Is there anything you'd like to see out of the game of baseball moving forward? The, the maybe where we're at right now to, to push the game a little bit more forward? As far as high school baseball, I think it's in great shape. We have tremendous leaders in all our states doing great, wonderful things. Uh, I, I'm just – I'm excited about high school baseball, and I feel like that's one of my goals now, like we talked about goals earlier, to make sure I keep promoting that. The college game, I was down at Georgia Tech the other day watching the fall workout. From terrific players from all over the country, you know, see people coming in. Professional baseball, I think it's all headed the right way. I don't want to see the DH. I want pitchers to keep hitting. Part of the game, a little strategy. And uh, I, I think we're in good shape. Uh, of course, the NCAA uh, with the earphones and trying to speed the game up, that's always a, a process. It's a hit and miss deal, you know. I know coaches that have been able to use the earpiece have have enjoyed it. Um, I, wa I watched catchers at Tech the other day use them during the inner squad, and it, the game moved. Yeah. Of course, it's an inner squad, but the game moved. And I know at Mississippi State, the SEC had been using it for a year or two. Do you have a fail-forward moment? Do you have something that you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was one of the best things that happened to you? When I left Wheeler High School, I had officially retired, but in Georgia, they have what they call a 49% program. You can teach a half day and continue to coach. That program was in place in my school system. But they called me in one day and said, uh, school system's doing away with that program. And I was out the door. And it was only about a two-day notice. And I was stunned, just really shocked. And it wasn't only me, but there were eight other department chairs in our school who were in the same boat. 
And there were 350 teachers in our school system that fell under that program because we had a large school system, 14 high schools. And I didn't know what I was going to do. Several people approached me about scouting. So I tried that briefly one summer, but I kept sitting behind the backstop. I said, That's, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And my good friend, Harvey Cochran, was at Mount Perrin, a small single-A school, said, come over and coach with me. So we did for a year, well, actually two years, then I went to love it. I, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I had to stay involved somehow. Then this past spring, well, actually, a year ago, I thought with the COVID problem, I said, I'm not, we didn't get to finish our season. I said, I'm going back for one more year because I felt like we had a state championship team and we fell one game short. But uh, I knew after that last out this year, it's time for me to move on and help coaches in another way. And uh, that's what I'm doing and uh, trying to approach it each day. But that, that, was, that was a moment that kind of shocked me. What do I do now? And like we're talking about, great friends in baseball. We all look after each other. And if you still want to coach, somebody somebody will get you. Somebody will pick you up. You're going to get that fixed with the Georgia Dugout Club also. Oh, I'm getting it. No telling. I, I get I tell school schedules. My phone rings, starts ringing about 4 to 8, stops about 8.30, starts ringing again about 3.30. That's fine. I love communicating with coaches helping people out. And uh, I, I don't know how long I can do this, but uh, it's, it's, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Do you have any morning or evening routines that, that you like, that you feel like help you sustain your energy? I mean, baseball coaching's tough at times. Um, do you have any evening or morning routines that you do every day that you like? Well, first thing I do in the morning, I, I check my email. I'm up and around. Then about 11, 12 o'clock every day, I'll, I'll do about a four or five mile walk run. Come back, eat a little lunch, wait for the afternoon phone calls to start. But uh, just just staying on top of it. Try and not let it consume me. I'll take a break here and there, do a little vacation for myself, go somewhere. Where, are you, where do you like to vacation? Well, my birthday was last week, and I'd never really been to this place. I went to the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia. Beautiful golf course. And I was interested in the history there with the uh, underground bunkers that were built during the missile crisis, which nobody knew about until 1995. I'm very part of the Hilton Head. I go down there, just got friends that live there. Got a Vietnam buddy that lives there. Uh, one of my ex-players, Shane Monahan, who was a first-round pick, played with Seattle. He lives there and his family. They were my big booster club family way back. And uh, it's not a bad drive from here. I just go down there and do a lot of walking and eat a lot of oysters and shrimp and just take a break. What are some final thoughts or anybody else you want to give a shout out to before we finish? Well, once again, ABCA and what they've done. Uh, Joe Roberts, who helped my uh, application, who actually did my application from Armstrong State. Uh, Matt West right now, who I've been working with. So all the ABCA over the years, I'm very partial to Jerry Kendall. I was on that ethics and coaching award committee with him for several years. What a, what a wonderful man. 
Bernie Walter, who was uh, high school chairman for a while. Bernie passed away this past year from Maryland. Just so many good friends I've made through the ABCA, and I just I enjoy spending time with them, whether we're sitting listening to speakers or sitting at the bar. Just, just friendships that you make. Well, I'm looking forward to the Hall of Fame banquet and seeing everybody again. So, Dave, I can't, can't thank you enough for coming on with me, and congrats again on the Hall of Fame. Thank you, and this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. The baseball community is as close as it's ever been. It's great to be able to connect with Coach McDonald. It's another reminder to support your local coaching associations. The growth of all of our associations is a huge reason why the coaching in baseball is at an all-time high. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram, RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan and Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Don't have-